Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. The Glasgow Times on Thursday the 8th of December 2022. Life-saving defibrillator installed in Glasgow community. An article by Rebecca Newlands and read by me, Corey. A life-saving defibrillator has been installed in a North Glasgow community. The device, which is used to help a person suffering a cardiac arrest, is now up and running at Hawthorne Housing Cooperative in Postle Park, after being handed over by first aid charity St Andrews. After the installation, St Andrews will be delivering CPR classes and defibrillator awareness sessions for all Hawthorne residents and staff. The British Heart Foundation advises that a defibrillator is a device that can be used by anyone. Medical training is not needed and can be used to save someone's life if they are in cardiac arrest. They are designed to deliver clear instructions and would never shock someone unless they required it. Gillian Halliday, who is the Community Link-Up Programme Coordinator at Hawthorne, said, The provision and installation of this defibrillator within our community is a huge step in ensuring all our staff and residents have the best possible chance of surviving following cardiac arrest. The training sessions being held at St Andrew's First Aid will be vital to building up confidence and skills in saving a life. Gillian met with St Andrew's Community Engagement Officer Naomi Sutton to officially install the device, which will help to ensure no person loses their life because they need emergency first aid and didn't receive it. Naomi said, We are delighted to have presented this defibrillator to Hawthorne Housing Cooperative. We were keen to engage with organisations in areas of social deprivation, who would most benefit due to the link with the higher incident of cardiac arrests. We hope that more people's lives will be saved as a result of this defibrillator being accessible. The defibrillator was supplied in partnership with the Royal Bank of Scotland, which has worked with St Andrews to select places across the UK to ensure they are there for those most in need. Jimmy Robertson, head of the Branch Network and the Royal Bank of Scotland, said... Part of our purpose is to support our communities, and we know local access to a defibrillator can play a life-saving role in helping someone experiencing a cardiac emergency. We have worked closely with organisations, including St Andrew's First Aid, to select appropriate sites in the UK where a defibrillator would be very welcome. Anyone who thinks their community needs a defibrillator installed can contact St Andrew's First Aid at community at standrewsfirstaid.org.uk That again is community, C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y at standrewsfirstaid.org.uk 
Aid, which is S-T-A-N-D-R-E-W-S-F-I-R-S-T-A-I-D.org.uk. That article is from the Glasgow Times and written by Rebecca Newlands. The Glasgow Times on Thursday the 8th of December 2022. Martin Compston reveals release date for May Flies, an article written by Rebecca Newlands and read by me, Corey. Martin Compston has revealed the release date for his new drama filmed in Glasgow. The Greenock actor was spotted all over the city earlier this year shooting scenes for May Flies with co-star Tony Curran. Now, after much anticipation, Compston has confirmed that Mayflies will grace TV screens on December 27th. Episodes will appear on iPlayer on December 28th. The series is based on the novel by the same name, by author Andrew O'Hagan, and is produced by the team behind The Cry, Synchronicity Films. It follows two best friends, Compston and Curran, and is described as a story of enduring male friendship with love, truth, tenderness and a searing humanity. Compston added that the experience was going to be emotional. That article is from the Glasgow Times. It was written by Rebecca Newlands and it was read by me, Corey. The Glasgow Times on Thursday the 8th of December 2022. Men's Shed Govan wins Best Men's Shed in Scotland Award. An article written by Morgan Carmichael and read by me, Corey. A Govan charity is absolutely delighted after winning a prestigious award. Men's Shed Govan was formed in 2017 to provide a place for retired, unemployed or unfit for work men to have a focus and purpose again. Now the charity has won the Scottish Men's Shed of the Year Award. Organised by the Scottish Men's Sheds Association, SMSA, the award recognises men's shed across Scotland that are making a contribution or positive impact to people's lives and the community. Winners were decided via a public vote. Voting opened at the start of October and closed on Sunday, October 30th. Sarah Everett... 54, funding manager of Men's Shed Govan, said herself and the guys are thrilled to bits with the news. She said, We are absolutely delighted and just so pleased. The guys are over the moon. There are sheds that have been around much longer than us, so I think we've done really well for being so young. We've worked so hard and done a lot of things this year within the community, and it's just so great that it's being recognised. Over the last year, Men's Shed installed defibrillators outside their base, turned an old nursery site into a community garden, and started a ladies' social club as part of the Men's Shed initiative. The charity group were one of the three finalists for the award, alongside Inverary and District Men's Shed and Lanark Men's Shed. As the winners of the award, Men's Shed Govan receive the trophy that they will get to keep for a year, as well as vouchers and goodies. They received a £150 voucher for Axe Minister Tools, a £400 cabinet toolkit from Cromwell, 
a free machine competency and woodwork training day from David Young Training and a £250 voucher for ScotMed Cooperative. The group also got a £500 cash prize from the SMSA and goodies from Scottish shortbread maker Deans of Huntley. Sarah said, We would like to thank everyone who voted for us. We really appreciate their support. The group planned to use some of the money for more art classes and day trips as the guys love days out. Men's Shed Govan is open Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays from 10am until 2pm. For more information, check out mensshedgovern.online. That's M-E-N-S-S-H-E-D-G-O-V-A-N dot O-N-L-I-N-E. That article is from the Glasgow Times and written by Morgan Carmichael. The Glasgow Times on Thursday, the 8th of December, 2022. Outlanders Sam Hewn to appear at book signing in Glasgow. An article written by Rebecca Newlands and read by me, Corey. Sam Hewn is to appear at a meet and greet event in Glasgow. The actor, best known for his role as Jamie Fraser in the Stars drama Outlander, will visit Waterstones Bookshop on Suckyall Street next week. Fans can have the opportunity to meet Sam, have their photo taken with him, and purchase his new book, Waypoints, which he will be signing copies of. Tickets cost £25, which includes the book, and they go on sale from 11am on December 8th. Waterstones later confirmed that Sam will be at the store from 10am until 12pm. That article is from the Glasgow Times, written by Rebecca Newlands and read by me, Corey. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 8th of December 2022, from the opinion section, Nicholas Sturgeon, it'll be hard work but independence will be worth it. An article first published on the 7th of December. What is the democratic route to Scotland becoming an independent country? For me, and they would hope even for people who don't support independence, that is by a majority of voters in Scotland making clear in a referendum that we want to become independent. But for some reason, an awful lot of anti-independence politicians have been struggling to answer this question recently. Since time immemorial, we've been told that the UK is a voluntary union of nations. What is now clear, following the judgement from the Supreme Court, is that it is not. The court was asked to consider whether the Scottish Parliament can legislate for an independence referendum without the prior agreement of Westminster. This question only arises because, despite a clear mandate for a vote to take place following last year's election, the UK government repeatedly refuses to reach such an agreement as they did ahead of the 2014 referendum. Let's remember that the Supreme Court doesn't make law, it interprets and applies it, and while the outcome is not what I would have hoped for, I respect it. It gives everybody clarity, and it's better to have that clarity sooner rather than later. But it raises profound questions about the nature of the UK. A so-called partnership in which one partner is denied the right to choose a different future, or even ask itself the question, cannot be described in any way as, as voluntary or even a partnership at all. We stand ready to work with the UK government to reach an agreement to enable a lawful, 
democratic referendum to take place, but it looks certain in the short term they will, they will continue refusing. That is not a good look for them. The more contempt the Westminster establishment shows for Scottish democracy, the more certain it is that Scotland will vote yes when the choice does come to be made. Indeed, in a poll out last week, the first to be conducted since the Supreme Court decision, found that support for independence had surged and was now four points ahead of the no vote. The SNP will now consider our next steps in the wake of the Supreme Court ruling. We are not abandoning the referendum route, Westminster is blocking it, and we are certainly not giving up on democracy. If a referendum remains blocked, the other democratic, lawful and constitutional means by which the Scottish people can express their will is through an election. The next election scheduled for Scotland is the UK general election, making it the first opportunity to seek what I described back in June as a de facto referendum. However, it is now for the SNP to consider and decide the best way forward to demonstrate majority support in Scotland for independence, so that we can then achieve independence. The detail for that proposal will be worked out in the coming weeks. But, as we consider that, we must also consider why independence is becoming ever more important. It is not an abstract discussion, nor is it a discussion that can wait. The UK economy is in crisis. On a range of indicators, it is lagging behind neighbouring comparable countries. We have a Tory government, which Scotland didn't vote for, ushering in a new age of austerity, which will be disastrous for the economy and public services. The Tories' ideologically driven immigration policies leading to skills shortages right across the economy. Brexit, which is now of course fully supported by the Labour Party, has already done significant economic damage and will leave the UK permanently poorer. Scotland didn't vote for any of this. Just as Westminster wishes to deny us a say over our constitutional future, we have been tandied with a Tory government and a damaging Brexit that we did not vote for. It doesn't need to be like this. The example of comparable countries neighbouring Scotland, wealthier, fairer and more productive than we are as part of the UK, even without any enormous resources, proves that we can achieve what we can achieve with the powers of independence. The Scottish Government is setting out a detailed blueprint for how an independent Scotland could thrive under a new economic model. That model will be based on our abundant renewable energy sources, a new social partnership approach, greater workplace rights, a migration policy tailored to our needs and membership of the EU in our own right, with access to a single market which, by population, is seven times the size of the UK. We've set out plans for a £20 billion investment fund, in part using the oil revenues that will remain while we make the transition away from fossil fuels, to kickstart growth in a newly independent country. There are no guarantees of success, and it will take hard work to deliver that success, but it will be worth it. And the more we compare what Scotland's future could be with independence, with what it almost certainly will look like under continued Westminster control, the more we see why Westminster is terrified of allowing people in Scotland a choice between the two. And that article was by Nicola Sturgeon. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 8th of December 2022, from the opinion section, Surya Sadiq, I want an empty home squad to be created for City. Earlier this week, this paper published a report showing that Glasgow's Health and Social Care Partnership is currently overspending on homelessness services by £5 million. This is because the need for homes is outstripping local supply. In other words, there aren't enough socially rented homes available in the city to cope with the growing homelessness challenge we face. 
and this before the run-up to winter, when energy bills and soaring inflation will truly start to bite. It's for precisely this reason I'm calling for a new empty home squad to be created across the city. A working group of representatives from the housing associations, the Health and Social Care Partnership, who are responsible for homelessness, the council and others to speed up and accelerate our programme of bringing empty homes back into productive use. In January this year, it was reported that there were nearly 3,000 empty homes in the city. Imagine we were able to work together and bring all of those homes back into use. 3,000 new, warm, safe and secure homes for people to live in. And that is the level of ambition I am hoping to set with this proposal. To make it clear that we will work as hard as we possibly can to make sure that everyone is able to exercise their right to a safe, secure and warm home. Compare that to the ambition shown over the past five years by the SNP administration. We know that rising energy bills are causing a huge amount of distress and pressure on household incomes. And, with the government only guaranteeing current prices until April, it's even more pleasing we reduce demand for energy by insulating our homes. But over the past five years, over 48% of money available to us to fund retrofit and insulation has gone unspent. That's £11.5 million. Money that should have been spent on making our homes warmer and cheaper to run. That money represents a significant missed opportunity. But one of the other items on the agenda for Thursday will also be a missed opportunity. We will be discussing Glasgow's budget and how we can work together to avoid that 119.4 million gap that sends shivers of our collective spines. Our demand is simple. Only the SNP and the Scottish Government can give us the funding we need to avoid that gap. We need to build a big and bold campaign that works with the trade unions, the third sector, with businesses and others to make the case for Glasgow. The £119 million worth of cuts would be devastating to our city, no matter how you try to spin it. And the bottom line is that we need to avoid these cuts. The SNP at Holyrood say they are treating local government fairly but I dare them to ask our hard-working local government staff if they feel like they're being treated fairly. The answer would be a clear and resounding no. The best chance we have of avoiding these cuts, and the best chance we have of bringing thousands of empty homes back into use, is to work together. And work with all of our partners to make the strongest case that we possibly can. And that was an opinion piece by Surya Sadiq. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 8th of December 2022, from the opinion section, Stuart Patterson, Workers are right to be taking strike action. By political correspondent, Stuart Patterson. It seems like every week there is another strike. This week teachers are taking action and rail workers have announced more dates in their long-running dispute with Network Rail and some train operating companies. With rising energy costs driving up the cost of living, with rocketing gas and electric bills, food shopping rising weekly, and pretty much everything that is produced and purchased costing more, people are seeing their incomes coming under serious pressure. It is not surprising, then, that people are asking for an increase in pay that reflects those rising costs. Earlier this year, cleansing and home care staff were the vanguard of council strikes, which led to a pay deal for all council workers. With all those workers going on strike, which means they'll lose money when they walk out, it represents the hundreds of thousands of working people telling the government they're seeing their standard of living eroded and they won't accept it. Are they all wrong? Ultimately, it is the government, 
being responsible for public services and finances, that is responsible for ensuring public sector workers are paid properly. How the detail is worked out is a matter for the unions and the employers, but many, in parts of the government and also in sections of the media, are quick to highlight the disruption. It is clearly designed to turn the race of the public against those taking action to protect their paying conditions at work. Firstly, the obvious point is if strike action didn't cause some disruption, then the action would have very little impact and could easily be ignored. The whole point is to show that the work is necessary and the value to the public and the wider economy. Also, those who are telling the workers who are on strike that in all likelihood often paid more, paid more than most of the workers looking for a fair pay rise. Those opposed to the strikes, and they are generally opposed to all strikes, are eager, eager to highlight some who are on higher salaries. The main example of this is the rail strikes, where it is pointed out that some drivers earn salaries in excess of £40,000, hardly millionaires. Also, train drivers are members of ASLEF, a different union from RMT, and the wider workforce that is out on strike. The, the reality is most of the workers on strike are earning much lower wages, similarly for nurses and teachers. The starting salary for teachers in Scotland is around £28,000, and the average is around £34,000. For nurses, it's a similar amount, and for local government workers, it can be considerably lower. The fact that the public sector is generally more unionised than most of the private sector means that they are more likely to take strike action. The government and some national media openly seek to divide the public to claim the country is being held to ransom. The UK government has been urged by Tory bank backbenchers to implement even tougher anti-strike laws to weaken workers' efforts to negotiate paying condition deals. But the truth is, those on strike are the public. Men and women trying to earn a living, achieving a work-life balance, and ensure they have a decent pension when they retire. Previously, public sector pensions have been branded as gold-plated, when actually the average pension has been considerably less than £10,000 a year. There will be very few people who do not have a friend or family member who has been involved in the industrial action of last year. Whether it is council workers in cleansing or care, Rail and train staff, nursing and NHS staff, postal workers or teachers, most people will know or live beside someone involved. That is a large part of the workforce and this is a workforce we all provide services we rely on. We can all certainly, while the majority of people in Scotland and across the UK are concerned about rising costs now and in the future, those at the top of the organisations negotiating for the employers will be less likely to lose sleep because of their finances. And the government ministers, both at Holyrood and Westminster, while telling people there is no more money for pay rises, can also be sure to afford the rising bills with six-figure salaries. The language is deliberate and designed to turn people against industrial action and those taking the action. It is designed for people to accept the cost of everything will go up, when it co- but when it comes to wages, the cost of labour, a rise is not affordable. It has to be remembered that the people taking strike action are doing so to protect their salaries, to not see them diminish in value and lead to a loading of wages and standards for everyone. Otherwise, those who seek to denigrate workers taking action will be successful in their quest to see working people bear the brunt of the cost of living crisis, while others continue to increase their wealth. And that was an opinion piece by Stuart Patterson. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 9th of December 2022, from the news section, as the worker sliced open Glasgow shopkeeper's arm during attack. 
Report by Connor Gordon. A masked thug sliced open a shopkeeper's arm after he refused to give him money. Ryan McCarran, 28, lashed out at Shazad Shafiq, 41, as he opened his store in Glasgow's Pollock Shaws on November the 24th, 2020. The Asda trolley worker of Clyde Bank, Western Bartonshire, initially kept tads on Mr Shafiq before asking him for cash. When this was denied, McCarran lunged at his victim with a blade before fleeing the scene. Mr Shafiq initially gave chase, but later went to hospital where he received 14 stitches to his upper right arm. McCarran was convicted at Glasgow Sheriff Court to assaulting Mr Shafiq to a severe injury and permanent disfigurement. Jurors watched CCTV of McCarran dressed in a high vis and a face mask, walking towards Mr Shafiq who exited his car. The attacker initially passed his victim before stepping back to speak to him. Mr Shafiq stated in his evidence, he approached me as I was about to open the shop and asked me if I had any change in the shop. I said that I never. I turned the shutters and I felt someone grabbing me from the back. As I turned round, I could see a knife in his hand. I panicked and grabbed hold of him and he grabbed onto me. I was trying to avoid being injured, stabbed or cut. Mr Shafiq stated the incident lasted 10 seconds before McCarran ran away down the street. The witness claimed that he followed McCarran from afar and noted him to get into a car and drive off. Prosecutor Mark Allen asked what injuries Mr Shafiq suffered as a result of the attack. He replied, I had a bad cut in the bicep. The witness added that he went to hospital where he was treated with stitches. Mr Shafiq passed on the licence plate of the car to the police who spoke to him while receiving treatment. It was revealed that McCarran has a High Court previous conviction for assault and robbery in which he was sent to a young offenders institution for 27 months in 2012. He also has a record for possession of a knife in public from 2011. Sentence was deferred pending background reports until the new year by Sheriff Joan Kerr, who continued McCarran's bail meantime. And that report was by Connor Gordon. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 9th of December 2022, from the news section, Dog left tied to Ballot Park's gates after being abandoned by owner. By Lauren Brownlee. A dog was left tied to park gates for hours after being abandoned by its cruel owner. The female pocket bully type dog, who has cropped ears, was left outside Ballot Park on December the 8th. She was spotted by a member of the public on their way to work, but when the same person was on their way back from work, they noticed the dog was still tied up. She is now safe and in the care of the Scottish SPCA's Dumbartonshire Animal Rescue and Rehoming Centre. The Animal Welfare Charity is appealing for information. Ali Bibby, centre manager, said, The dog is a female pocket bully type dog and is white with tan patches. She also has cropped ears. She was spotted by a member of the public who noticed the dog on their way to work in the morning of December the 8th and, was, and then was understandably concerned when the dog was still there when they returned home that afternoon. The dog was not wearing a collar when she was found and is not microchipped. If anyone recognises this dog or has any information, we would ask that they contact our confidential animal helpline on 0300 999 That report was by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 9th of December 2022, from the news section, Glasgow groups recognised for green efforts in national awards by Marissa McWhorter 
multimedia journalist. Community groups across Scotland have been recognised for their commitment to enhancing the natural beauty of their local neighbourhoods. Environmental charity Keep Scotland Beautiful recognised 14 groups from Glasgow as part of their annual seminar and celebration event on Thursday, December the 8th. The 2022 Beautiful Scotland and It's Your Neighbourhood virtual event recognised over 180 groups from 26 local authorities for their efforts to clean up and beautify their neighbourhoods. York Hill Green Spaces scooped up the Nature Scots It's Your Neighbourhood Pollinator Friendly Award, taking home £250 to put towards further pollinator activities. Easterhouse organisation FARE Lock-In Community Allotment was the joint winner of the Involving Children and Young People Award, alongside Aberdeen's EAG Airbunge, Ellen Academy Gardeners. Juliet Camburn, Community Progress Officer with Keep Scotland Beautiful, expressed delight at being able to celebrate the organisations working to to better their communities. She said, We're delighted to once again be celebrating the brilliant work of groups across Scotland who are doing so much to make their community a better place. Every It's Your Neighbourhood entrant has made a lasting contribution to their area through their efforts and it's great to see such a high number taking part this year. I'd like to congratulate and thank each and every group alongside the 26 volunteer assessors we work with who give up their time, support, expertise and guidance for all they do to make their community a cleaner, greener and more sustainable place for people in nature. Jim Jeffrey, Pollinator Strategy Manager of Biodiversity and Geodiversity for Nature Scott, recognised the work that York Hill Green Spaces has done for helping to make their neighbourhood a more pollinator friendly. He said, Making space for nature in gardens, allotments, green spaces and communities is a boost to our health and biodiversity. This year's Pollinator Friendly award, Awards are to be applauded for their great achievements in helping reverse the decline in nature by making Scotland more pollinator friendly and giving their time and energy to these fantastic community projects. It's Your Neighbourhood is a partnership between Keep Scotland Beautiful and the Royal Horticultural Society, RHS, alongside Beautiful Scotland to support community groups that help with environmental improvements in their neighbourhoods. Pakling Wang, Community Programme Manager of the RHS, said, We're delighted that so many groups in Scotland are taking part in It's Your Neighbourhood and achieving so much for their local communities. It's encouraging how groups have fully embraced the initiative, showing that they can improve people's well-being and benefit our natural environment through gardening. More information can be found online. That report was by Melissa McWhorter. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 9th of December 2022. From the news section... Mobile post office route extended to Howwood in Renfrewshire by Jack Thompson Plans to extend the route of a mobile post office to include another village in Renfrewshire have been dubbed an early Christmas present for residents. The post office has confirmed the van, which serves Houston and Lochawinock, among other rural Scottish communities, will now make a stop in Howwood. It is scheduled to operate from the Village Hall car park and Station Road from January the 9th opening on Mondays from 9am to 10pm and Wednesdays 11.45am to 12.45pm. Councillor Andy Doig, who represents Howwood, first contacted Post Office in February of this year and requested its inclusion on the van's run after the lack of a service was raised at a meeting of the Community Council. However, the 13-stop service had to be given time to bed in 
before it could be established whether it could be extended. Councillor Doig was delighted to receive confirmation from senior post office management that it would happen. He said it represented a victory for people power as more and more people are asked to use financial services online. The independent politician added, whilst villages like Howard and Loch Winnock are comparatively affluent, in the current cost of living crisis, being digital may be a luxury too far for some. Even if financially possible, many people, especially the elderly and those in fixed incomes, may not have the necessary skills and, in essence, have no desire to learn them. If the COVID lockdown taught us anything, it is, that it is essential for individual health to have social contact and since February this year I have been pushing post office to include Howard in the mobile van route as it has been so popular in Loch That neither village now has an established post office is a matter of deep regret but this is a step forward. I am extremely grateful to post office for listening to my pleas and I think it is fair to say that this decision and subsequent new service to the village is an early Christmas present for the people of Howard. A post office spokesperson said the service has been introduced to meet customer needs in the village. They added, the postmaster from Johnston Post Office currently operates a mobile service for 13 communities in the area and is willing to extend the service to the community. And that report was by Jack Thompson. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 9th of December 2022, from the news section, Thieves stole 23 foot long sports boat from Loch Lomond by Lauren Brownlee. A 23 foot long sports boat has been found abandoned after being stolen. The black and blue Carrera 225 was stolen from Cameron House Marina, Loch Lomond on Tuesday, December the 6th at around 8pm. Police inquiries have established that the boat was removed in a trailer towed by a light coloured SUV. After leaving Cameron House Marina, the thief travelled eastbound on the A82 before going through Old Kilpatrick. The boat was then abandoned and later recovered from an area of the A809 Stockymere Road, north of Mogai. Cops are now appealing for information. Detective Constable Angela Tipping of Clydebank Police Station said, Inquiries are ongoing to establish the full circumstances surrounding this incident and would urge anyone with information to come forward. We would be keen to speak with anyone who believes they may have seen the boat at any point between Cameron House and where it was abandoned, or who may have dashcam or private CCTV footage. If you can help, please call 101, quoting incident 1753 of December the 7th, or call Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800-555-111. And that report was by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 9th of December 2022, from the news section, Thug Who Attacked Kids and Women in Glasgow Jailed by Connor Gordon. A thug who attacked a 12-year-old boy, then pushed 10-year-old, a 10-year-old girl while on bail, was jailed yesterday for 15 months. Marcin Przybyszewski, 46, turned on the kids in a property in Glasgow's Castle Milk in March and May. Prezi Bezaswewski struck the boy in the head several times amid a row over clean school trousers. He was held in custody and ordered not to visit the property on his release. Prezi Bezaswewski, and that's spelt P-R-Z-Y-B-Y-S-Z-A-W-S-K-I, 
returned and the 10-year-old had to stand in his road during an argument in which a woman was attacked. A drunk Prezibowski then pushed the girl who fell on her head. Prezibowski pleaded guilty at Glasgow Sheriff Court to four assaults. He also admitted engaging in a course of conduct which was with the abuse of the woman as well as breaching bail. Prosecutor Mark Allen said, The boy asked Prezibowski to help him find clean school trousers. Pussy Bizbowski became irate towards the boy and grabbed him by the upper body, shouting at him to find his own clothes. He began to hit the boy multiple times with the heel of his hand, resulting in his nose bleeding and his lips. Police attended and arrested Prezibowski while the boy was taken to hospital. He was found to have bruising and swelling around his eye. Prezibowski was released in bail with conditions not to approach the boy or enter the property. Prezibowski entered the house in May 2022 when he got into a drunken argument with a woman in the early hours. He then punched the woman to the face, causing swelling and bruising before pushing her onto the couch. A 14-year-old boy attempted to calm Prezibowski before the young girl appeared. Mr Allen said, She attempted to split them up, got between them and shouted at Prezibowski to stop. Prezi Busowski then pushed the woman and the girl with the latter falling against the living room table, striking her head. A 22-year-old man confronted Prezi Busowski, but he was grabbed by the throat. However, he was able to wriggle free and call the police. Prezi Busowski was eventually arrested outside the property, having been locked out. The court heard earlier of earlier occasions in which Prezi Busowski erupted over spilled soup. The thug threw the woman's clothes out onto the landing and told her to F, asterisk, 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 off. Prezi Bisowski also struck the woman to the head and body after pushing her to the floor in another earlier incident. And that report was by Connor Gordon. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 12th of December 2022, from the opinion section, Ask Janice, problem page. Tis the season of giving some blunt truths. Dear Janice, yet again my sister-in-law has given me a very precise list of Christmas gifts she wants us to buy her three kids. They are all under ten, extremely spoiled, cheeky and, on top of that, their gifts are well over my budget. My husband casually hinted that her gift list was expensive, but she said that anything less wasn't worth bothering about and that giving her kids things they don't want is a waste of money. Despite that, she doesn't ask what our boys want and buys them pyjamas and a selection box. We say nothing as we don't want a fallout, especially at this time of year, but I am really resentful and angry about it. My husband said he hates conflict and that he is seeing no more. I feel he has no support, so what else can I do? Emma Dear Emma, this isn't your husband's doing, so lay off him. Scrap this nonsense of giving unappreciated, unwanted, costly and unnecessary gifts. Be blunt, tell your sister-in-law you simply do not have the money to spend on the gifts she expects and, for that reason, from now on you will do birthdays for the kids, but not Christmas. Offer to have her children stay over for a Christmas fun night with a movie, drinks and pizza. Play games and make it a memorable time. The night should be relatively cheap, and mum and dad have a child-free night to themselves. It's win-win all round, I reckon. If your sister-in-law is still unhappy, then there is really no pleasing this lady. So, stop trying. Dear Janice, 
I am 78 years old and have no children or partner. My good friends have passed away and I am now concerned about what will happen to me when I can no longer look after myself in my own home. I am lonely and sad most days and wonder if there's even a point in still being here. I have thought about a care home but don't want to know how to start selling my home or what I would do with all my things. I get so worked up by the hopelessness of it all so I put it out of my mind for another time. Who can help me? I read a lot about people being conned, especially the elderly, therefore how do I know who to trust? George Dear George, it is understandable that you are anxious and concerned about your future, especially as you have no one to discuss this with, but the longer you put things off, the more distressed you will become. You took the first step by contacting me, so take the next one. Help is only a call away. Please contact the Age Scotland helpline on 0800 That's 0800 or www.ageuk.org.uk They are set up to advise, support and help with issues that the elderly experience, such as requiring financial support, healthcare and companionship, and can help with your care home, op- home options. They also partner with the Silver Line, who offer free telephone friendship services, so you can enjoy chatting with someone over the phone. If this becomes something you enjoy, you could join their befriending services and help others in your situation. George, talking and sharing experiences with like-minded individuals can help you feel you're not alone. Hopefully you still have many good years ahead, so embrace your future instead of dreading it. Best wishes. Dear Janice, I got engaged on my birthday recently and I'm already having second thoughts. The proposal was a complete surprise but with so many people there for my birthday, I felt obliged to say yes. I do love my fiancé but his constant jibes and jokes aimed at me are relentless. People laugh but I know they're embarrassed. I do have a sense of humour and I'm not immature but I find myself feeling low at times especially after another tirade of endless criticism. He's very short tempered swears and flies off the handle at the slightest thing. I think I'm way way over my head now with all these mixed feelings and I don't want to know what to do. Karen Dear Karen, the man you are planning to marry is showing very little respect towards you. Verbally attacking someone is cowardly and, if you allow his inexcusable behaviour to continue, your self-esteem will disappear until you barely recognise yourself. Also, keep in mind, verbal abuse is often followed by physical abuse. Your fiancé doesn't sound like a loving, mature man who is ready for marriage, but it is a relief that you at least recognise you have a problem. Counselling can help if he is willing to participate or a GP referral for anger management classes. However, I reckon he is more than likely to refuse to attend as he will be in denial that he has any of these issues. To help you recognise and gain a better understanding of his behaviour, I suggest you check out some of the great books on anger management which explain some of the underlying causes of anger and how to deal with it, if you want to go down that road. Otherwise, it is down to him to recognise and change his behaviour. If he doesn't, give him his ring back and move on. And that was today's Ask Janice problem page by Janice Bell. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 12th of December 2022, from the news section, Glasgow Airport flights cancelled amid snow and ice warnings by Rebecca Newlands. Glasgow flights have been disrupted due to ice and snow affecting the UK. 
A number of flights scheduled to arrive and depart the city airport today have been cancelled as icy conditions grip the country. Flights include British Airways services to and from London Heathrow and London City, EasyJet flights to and from Birmingham and Logan Air services to and from Campbelltown and Islay. It comes after the Met Office issued yellow severe weather alerts across Scotland and England due to the wintry conditions. It was the coldest night of the year so far, with temperatures in northern Scotland dipping below minus 15 Celsius. To check the latest information on Glasgow Airport flights, go online. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 12th of December 2022, from the news section, Glasgow call centre whistleblower never felt job was safe, by Kirsty Feerick. A call centre whistleblower never felt like his job was safe before the company let go of 600 staff. Iwan Jones has slammed the Glasgow firm Go Centric after they went bust last week, Thursday, December the 2nd, within hours of refin- a refinancing deal falling through. The 60 year old from Glasgow worked with the company for a year and has now branded the work culture as toxic because he constantly feared losing his job. He claims he was told four times in 12 months that his job was gone at a moment's notice before being bounced to a new contract at the last second. Iwan also claimed he could rack up to 65 hours a week doing shift during busy periods because he was worried his job wouldn't be there next week. Now he has spoken to the Glasgow Times to share his experience that left him stressed and undervalued. Iwan said, Go-centric was a shambles the entire time I was there. I felt like I was just one slip up away from being fired. It meant the work culture was pretty tough. I thought it was toxic. It wasn't a great experience for me. I was really stressed because I was always worried about my job. I was in a 16-hour contract, but when it was busy with NHS vaccination COVID appointments, I could work up to 65 hours a week. I didn't really mind that because I was helping people, so I willingly took the extra shifts, but it was also because I was always worried my job if my job would still be there on Monday. It's been very stressful. I'm 60 and dealing with the cost of living crisis. You want to know your job is there. I feel the staff were undervalued. GoCentric said it had safeguarded 250 jobs. A spokesperson for GoCentric said, At this difficult time, our entire focus has been supporting people and saving jobs, and we are pleased to announce that negotiations with our customers have now secured jobs and immediate employment opportunities, which outnumber the entire number of people affected by the closure of GoCentric. Ion has since found new employment after being let go and hopes his former co-workers will do, do the same soon. It comes as lawyers have initiated action to get money from the hundreds of workers GoCentric made redundant last week. Thompson solicitors are acting to get staff cash as it believes the company has ignored strict government rules on how it lets its staff go. Paul Kisson, who manages the law firm's protective awards unit, said, It's absolutely shocking that almost 600 workers have lost their jobs with no notice just before Christmas. This company, which was funded by public money, has behaved in a heartless and completely irresponsible way. The workers who lost their jobs are entitled to compensation. And that article is by Kirsty Feerick. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 12th of December 2022, in the news section, Glasgow Clyde College helping people to be influencers and YouTubers. Article by Rebecca Newlands. A Glasgow college is changing the names of some of its courses 
after finding that more young people want to be social media influencers or YouTubers? Glasgow Clyde College carried out a survey among people aged between 16 and 24 and found that these professions topped their list of dream jobs. Almost a third want to follow in the footsteps of YouTubers like KSI, who a quarter dream of a career as an influencer, but many are unsure of how they could become qualified for such positions. As a result, the college has decided to rename its courses to match with these dream jobs to show students that they can be, what, that they can be achieved. Deputy Principal John Rafferty said, We want all young people to strive for their dreams, but we know that the journey to get there can sometimes be daunting and challenging. Whether it's because you just don't know where to start, or you feel like it's a step out of your comfort zone, with Glasgow Clyde College you can. By marching course names as young people's dream jobs, we're opening a world of possibility to anyone studying at the college. Media, journalism and TV has been temporarily retitled How to be a YouTuber, while access to HND business has been changed for How to be an entrepreneur. How to be a music producer is the new name for NQ Introduction to Sound Production. Subjects such as fashion, communication, sports and fitness have been paired with the most attractive careers to young people, including celebrity photographer and sports coach. Mr Rafferty added, It's interesting to see the careers which young people aspire to. We live in an ever-changing world, with jobs and roles evolving all the time, and our courses can equip young people with the tools to enter the workforce with confidence, so no occupation is too ambitious. Make 2023 the year to start your dream career with our courses starting in January. To find out more, visit www.glasgowclyde.ac.uk slash fulltime. And that report was by Rebecca Newlands. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 12th of December 2022, from the news section, Glasgow Teen Becomes Peelport's First Ever Female Apprentice by Nicole Mitchell. A Glasgow teen has become the first ever female apprentice at the Scottish port operator. Caitlin McGrory from South Nets Hill started her four-year apprenticeship as an electrical engineer with Peelport's Clydeport earlier this year. The 19-year-old splits her time between her studies at West College School's Greenwich Campus and working at the port's operator's King George V dock in Glasgow and its sites in Greenock. Caitlin says she's enjoying learning new skills in her role, which includes fixing and maintaining port equipment such as ships ashore gantry cranes, STS. She said, I really enjoy life on site and learning from qualified members of the team. Throughout school, I was always more interested in things such as physics and design and manufacturing, DNM, and I had hit a stump about what I wanted to do once I left school. My design and manufacturing, manufacturing teacher recommended that I look into engineering as a career as I enjoyed DNM and physics. I was extremely interested and I continued from there, doing an HNC in electrical engineering and applying for an apprenticeship. I find the engineering field really interesting. And my time at Peel Ports Clydeport has shown me the diverse and exciting range of jobs within the maritime sector, which are open for everyone, regardless of gender. Caitlin is currently studying for a Higher National Certificate, HNC, and a Scottish Vocational Qualification, SEQ, in Engineering Systems. As she continues with her apprenticeship at the port, she will eventually move on to High Voltage Training and working with Programmable Logic Controller, PLC Systems. Caitlin believes there is a real prospect for more women to become involved in the maritime industry over time. She said, Although engineering is, 
at the moment I feel generally dominated by men. It is not one that only men can do. As long as you're not afraid to get your hands a little dirty, you definitely won't be getting, taking a jump into the field, as no day is the same. Peel's Port Clydeport, which also owns Huntington Port and Rescue Resource Centre, PERC in Ayrshire, and Greenock Ocean Terminal, is seeking to encourage more females to apply for roles at its sites and across the maritime industry. Engineering is one of many career opportunities available in the sector, and it is hoped this new apprenticeship will inspire others to explore a future in the industry. Engineering manager John Campbell, who is Caitlin's mentor, said, It has been a privilege teaching all of our apprentices about the work we do here at our site. Caitlin has proved that this job is for anyone interested in engineering, and we hope our story inspires more women to consider a career in engineering and the maritime sector. And that report was by Nicole Mitchell. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 12th of December 2022, from the news section, Mike Daly, why are people who repay their debts treated unfairly? By Mike Daly, columnist. By now, pay later has become an essential way of life for most of us. We're a consumer kid at society with expensive purchases, Christmas presents, holidays, cars, washing machines, fridges, computers and smartphones, only become affordable and realisable because of personal credit. UK personal debt is on the rise and now stands at £1.8 trillion. Much of that is mortgages with unsecured consumer debt accounting for £206 billion. Most of us are now using deferred payments like PayPal or Karna where you buy goods and split the payment over three months. In the first six months of this year, £5.6 billion of consumer goods has been purchased this way in the UK. The Office for Budget Responsibility forecasts overall pension debt to hit £2.5 trillion by 2025. Borrowing can be a liberating thing if it is fair, reasonable and affordable. Sadly, it isn't for many people. In order to access credit at low interest rates, you need a decent credit rating. There are three companies who manage credit reference data in the UK for lenders, Equifax, Experian and TransUnion. These companies look at how long you've been on the electoral register for where you live and what credit agreements you have and whether you're in arrears or have defaulted missed payments for three to six months. They record whether you become bankrupt or enter into a debt solution such as a trusted or debt arrangement scheme. All of this information enables the credit reference agency to calculate a score, a figure out of 710 or 1000. The score is a measure of the risk or likelihood of you being able to repay monies. The lower the risk, the higher the score, and the more likely you'll, you'll be able to access a wide range of financial products at the lowest rate of interest. Whenever you apply for credit, even if it's refused, this will leave a footprint in your credit reference file, which is generally recorded for one or two years. Applying for credit cards or loans too many times in a short period can lower your credit score, so it's always better to search for possible products where lenders offer a soft search that leaves no footprint and lets you know if you might be eligible. Never pay to check your credit score online, as there are various ways to do this for free. If you do online banking, you should be able to check your score through your banking app. Credit reference agencies will all provide you with your score for free, or use an app such as Credit Karma or Totally Money. You can get free and impartial information on how to improve or build your credit score from moneyhelper.org.uk. It will usually take a few months to make a positive difference to your credit score. 
The Information Commissioner's Office, ICO, has produced guidance on the way credit reference data should be stored. Generally, it will take six years from the date of a default or bankruptcy for the fact to disappear from your credit reference record. Contrast this with someone who's repaying their debts via a debt arrangement scheme, DAS, in Scotland. I spoke with someone who entered into a DAS in 2010 and cleared their debts in 2015. The six years only began to run from the end of DAS, so it wasn't until 2021 this came off the credit reference file, some 11 years later. If that person hadn't tried to repay their debts and became bankrupt, this fact would have vanished from their credit rating in 2016. Money Advice colleagues in Scotland have brought to my attention a professional decision of the Financial Ombudsman Service, FOS, in relation to credit reference reporting. A customer of a Scottish High Street bank entered into a DAS payment, debt payment plan over 10 years and cleared his debts this year. The bank then reported this to credit reference agencies, which means the DAS stayed in the customer's file until 2028, a full 16 years. This seems egregious and irrational to me. You repay your debts and have to live with the negative credit score implications for a full decade longer than if you hadn't paid them and became bankrupt. Where is the policy logic here? In my opinion, there are reasonable grounds to argue that both ICO and FOS have acted irrationally in effectively severely penalising people who try to repay their debts. Separately, there would seem to be scope to challenge that ICO's guidance has been discriminatory against debtors who seek to repay their debts in terms of the 1998 Human Rights Act. It cannot be equitable to provide less debtor rehabilitation to people who try to clear their borrowings than those who are unfortunately unable to do so. And that was a column by Mike Daly. Glasgow Times News on Tuesday the 13th of December. Call for maximum waiting times for treatment in the NHS. An article written by Tom Torrance. The Scottish Government should set maximum waiting times for treatment in the NHS and punish health boards which make patients wait longer, the Scottish Tories have said. The party released its own plan for helping the NHS deal with pressures this winter yesterday, as the health service stands on the brink of crisis. A&E waiting times have repeatedly hit record levels in recent months, while three quarters of a million people are currently waiting on an outpatient procedure. The document sets out 14 recommendations, ranging from the creation of an app to show live hospital waiting times to the creation of so-called Super Saturdays, where hospitals focus on a single type of procedure or operation in an attempt to relieve backlogs. But the major recommendation would see a maximum wait time for procedures put on health boards during the winter, which would be backed up by clear sanctions on boards if they're breached. It's not clear from the document what kind of sanctions would be faced by health boards. Scottish Tory health spokesman Dr Sandesh Gulhane said the NHS needed a real recovery plan as it faces its worst ever winter. The paper we've published contains a range of innovative yet practical measures that would alleviate some of the huge pressures on our health service right away, he added. Despite the best efforts of dedicated frontline staff, things have only got worse since Hamza Youssef produced his flimsy recovery plan for the NHS last year. An article written by Tom Torrance. Glasgow Times News on Tuesday the 13th of December. Family hit out at airport shambles. An exclusive article written by Amanda Keenan. 
A furious family told how they were among hundreds of Scots left waiting hours at an airport before being told to make their own way home. They were forced to fork out on expensive rail tickets to travel back from London after the EasyJet flight from London Luton to Glasgow Airport was suspended on Sunday as ice and snow swept across the UK. The Johnston resident, who doesn't wish to be named, claimed his family members were left waiting in a departure lounge alongside around 200 stranded passengers without any hot food, water or blankets. He told the Glasgow Times, My two nieces and nephew were due to fly back to Glasgow at 5.55pm yesterday. They were left waiting for hours on end before finally being told at 1am just to try to make their own way back to Glasgow. It was an absolute shambles and no one knew what was going on. They couldn't get any answers and people were cold and hungry. They just wanted to get home. We understand severe weather can mean it isn't safe to fly, but there should be a contingency plan in place. It's winter in Great Britain after all. Snow shouldn't be a massive surprise to anyone. What really infuriated people waiting to fly was the basic lack of communication, which was totally unacceptable. No hot meals or blankets were provided, and that's no way to treat customers. Basically, the only way for my family to get home was by rail, so they left Luton Airport in the middle of the night and travelled across the city before finally boarding a train to Glasgow this morning. It's been the journey from hell. Dozens of flights were cancelled or delayed as sub-zero temperatures plummeted below minus 10 degrees Celsius across the country. A spokesperson for EasyJet said, Airlines operating to and from the UK last night have been experiencing some disruption to their flying programmes due to adverse weather, including Flight 65 from London Luton to Glasgow, which unfortunately had to be cancelled as a result of the snow closure at London Luton. We did everything possible to minimise the disruption to our customers and advise they will be reimbursed for their onward travel and any other expenses they may have incurred, including accommodation and meals. The safety and well-being of our customers and crew is EasyJet's highest priority, and while this is outside of our control, we'd like to apologise to customers for the inconvenience caused as a result of the weather. An exclusive article written by Amanda Keenan. Glasgow Times News on Tuesday the 13th of December. Free Christmas night bus travel on offer to Glasgow revellers. An article written by Anne Fotheringham. Free night buses for Christmas revellers will run this weekend in a bid to encourage Glaswegians to support the city's festive events. It's part of a city-wide initiative by Glasgow City Centre, Glasgow Life and the City Centre Task Force. Marking the launch this weekend, up to 500 passengers can enjoy free travel on first bus, dedicated night bus services. The complimentary rides are available on a first-come, first-served basis, with 250 free trips available on Friday, December 16th, and 250 on Saturday, December 17th, by downloading the First Bus app before you board. The company runs 11 late-night services every Friday and Saturday evening, covering locations from Pollock to Hamilton. The new Love Glasgow This Winter campaign features a film which celebrates people and places in Glasgow this winter, focusing on shopping, food and drink, theatre and performance.
Stuart Patrick, co-chairperson of the City Centre Task Force and chief executive of Glasgow Chamber of Commerce, said... Love Glasgow this winter is a great initiative and couldn't have come at a more important time. Businesses rely on a spike in trade and footfall at this time of year, whether it's retail, hospitality or leisure, so getting people into the city and through the door is crucial. This funding from the City Centre Task Force aims to address that concern. From highlighting the city's varied consumer offer to increasing public transport options during a period of planned rail disruption – We're giving people even more reasons to spend the full day in Glasgow. The Love Glasgow campaign will hopefully encourage locals and visitors into the city and go some way to helping our traders have a bumper Christmas and a brighter 2023. Councillor Angus Miller, convener for City Centre Recovery at Glasgow City Council and co-chairperson of the City Centre Task Force, said... Glasgow City Centre is a very special place at Christmas and this campaign will highlight the huge range of things on offer over the festive period. From unique shopping experiences and fantastic street food, bars and restaurants to great pantomimes, concerts and fairs, a visit to the City Centre this Christmas will be a memorable occasion. Graham McFarlane, Commercial Director for First Bus Scotland, said We're proud to continue to support the city's nighttime economy, particularly during the crucial run-up to the festive period, by being in the position to offer a network of night bus services at the weekend that connect the city centre with most areas of Glasgow and beyond. Whether you're enjoying a meal out with friends, some late-night entertainment with family or attending an event – The festive season offers a great opportunity for new and current customers to make our night services a part of their late-night travel plans to ensure they get home safely. An article written by Anne Fotheringham. Glasgow Times News on Tuesday the 13th of December. Railway staff picket outside Glasgow Central Station. An article written by Tom Torrance. Rail workers are pressing ahead with strike action in Glasgow, with union bosses saying they don't see a deal in sight. Members of the Rail, Maritime and Transport Union were seen picketing outside Glasgow Central on Tuesday morning, marking the start of two 48-hour strikes at Network Rail and 14 train companies from Tuesday and Friday. Trains are only running from 7.30am to 6.30pm on this week's strike days, although many parts of the country will have no services. But with further walkouts planned, Network Rail has warned there will be significantly reduced services, with trains more crowded and likely to start later and finish earlier until January the 8th. Asked if there's a glimmer of hope in the negotiations, Network Rail Chief Executive Andrew Haynes told BBC Breakfast... It's hard to see that today. I've learned through a long career that sometimes the light is just around the corner. But where I stand today, I have to say with the level of disruption the RMT is imposing, the way forward isn't obvious. But Transport Secretary Mark Harper said almost 40% of RMT members at Network Rail voted in favour of an offer to resolve the dispute, despite a very clear instruction from their union leadership. He told GB News... I think the tide is turning on people seeing that the offers we've made are reasonable, taking into account both the travelling public but also the interest of taxpayers. The RMT said 63.6% voted to reject Network Rail's offer on an 83% turnout. 
The Office for National Statistics said 417,000 working days were lost to labour disputes in October, which is the highest since November 2011. RMT workers will also strike from 6pm on Christmas Eve until 6am on December 27th. General Secretary Mick Lynch insisted he has no intention of spoiling people's Christmas. He told Good Morning Britain, the government is contributing to that spoiling of the people's Christmas because they've brought these strikes on by stopping the companies from making suitable proposals. That's the position that we're in and we'll have to keep this dispute going until we get a reasonable settlement and a reasonable set of proposals that our members want to accept. Network Rail had offered a 5% pay rise for this year, backdated to January, with another 4% at the start of 2023 and a guarantee of no compulsory job losses until January 2025. The RMT's executive recommended rejecting the offer, saying it was linked to significant changes to working practices. Talks to avert the nursing strike have failed after the union leader behind the action accused Health Secretary Steve Barclay of belligerence and refusing to discuss pay. Talks between Mr Barclay and Ms Cullen failed to find a breakthrough, with the Health Secretary refusing to negotiate on pay. The government was true to its word, they would not talk to me about pay, the Royal College of Nursing boss said in a statement. I needed to come out of this meeting with something serious to show nurses why they should not strike this week. Regrettably, they're not getting an extra penny. The union is demanding a pay rise of 5% above inflation, which was 14.2% in October, but Ms Cullen has hinted that she could compromise if the government negotiates on pay. Mr Barclay has been sticking with the independent pay review body's recommendation of a £1,400 pay rise. An article written by Tom Torrance. Glasgow Times News. On Tuesday the 13th of December. Warning issued to stay off ice in city parks after three boys die in England. An article written by Stuart Patterson. People have been warned not to go onto the frozen ponds in Glasgow after three boys died in an accident in the Midlands in England. Three boys aged 8, 10 and 11 died after falling under the water in a lake near Solihull and a fourth aged 6 is in hospital. A police officer tried to punch through the ice in an attempt to rescue the boys. In recent years people have gone onto the ice in parks in the city when the water has frozen over. Some have used ice skates and others even played ice hockey. As temperatures plummet to below freezing in Glasgow this week, the council has issued safety advice telling people they should stay off the ice in ponds in city parks. A spokesman for the council said, We're very concerned about people going on to frozen water in parks across the city. No matter how solid ice might look, no one can be sure of the stability of any ice and so it's impossible to guarantee that any ice can be used safely. As tempting as it might be to do otherwise, people should not skate, attempt to cross, walk or play on ponds or any other frozen water. Even though very cold weather is forecast, people are urged to stay safe and stay off the ice. Canals and rivers can be frozen over too when the temperature is sub-zero. Water Safety Scotland has issued its advice about frozen over water. It said it aims to prevent needless deaths and accidents and also to alert the public that the majority of ice-related incidents involve children or dog walkers.
Jen Foley from Water Safety Scotland said, We encourage people to get out and about to enjoy frosty walks in the crisp cold air, but ice-related drownings are entirely and easily preventable. Frozen water can look tempting, but there's just no way of knowing whether it will hold your weight or how deep the water is beneath. We're urging people to keep themselves and their children off frozen water, as well as keeping their dogs on leads. If dog walkers don't wish to keep their dogs on leads, then we advise keeping ball or stick throwing to areas away from frozen water. Tragically, many past incidents have involved attempted rescues of another person or a dog in trouble on or in frozen water. They issued advice on what to do if someone falls through the ice. First, call the emergency services by dialing 999 and give accurate location details with any landmarks or signs to allow them to get there as quickly as possible. Do not attempt to go onto the ice yourself. Tell the person to stay still to maintain heat and energy. They advise, if possible, to try finding something which will extend your reach, such as a rope, pole or branch, then throw the object out and once ensuring you're stable on the bank, either by lying down or having someone hold on to you, pull them in. Do not go onto the ice yourself. An article written by Stuart Patterson. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 12th of December 2022, from the news section... How Glasgow Double Killer Ian Schouler Trapped Himself by Norman Sylvester The murder of two women shocked Glasgow and prompted fears that a serial killer was on the loose, but the killer might not have been stopped were it not for one crucial mistake. On October 1st, 1982, the body of taxi driver Cathy McCord, then 36, was found crammed into the boot of her cab at Brayside Place, canvas lying with the meter in her cab still running. She had died violently, with deep stab wounds to her chest and the back of her head. Strathclyde Police launched a major murder investigation, one of the biggest the city had seen, interviewing hundreds of taxi customers and drivers, particularly female ones. However, they quickly discovered it wasn't the first time that Cathy had come, in, come to their attention. She had previously been sentenced to three years in prison in the 1970s for her part in a £143,500 newspaper spot the ball competition scam. Papers would publish a photograph from a soccer match and invite readers to guess the position of the ball, which had been removed from the picture. It was one of the biggest frauds ever seen in Glasgow and made police wonder if there could be a link. At the time, Cathy had been 27 and lived with her husband Eddie, who was the same age and drove a taxi. She worked as an office clerk in a newspaper where she earned £35 per week. In 1973, she was appointed Deputy Competitions Clerk with responsibilities for various promotions, including the Scottish Daily Express's Place the Ball. The paper then offered a weekly cash prize of £1,500, worth £20,000 today. This was later increased to £5,000 and then to £20,500 and £22,000, the equivalent of a modern lottery win. Cathy and her boss decided to set up a syndicate which included several of her friends. Those pals in turn located a suitable winner, Someone who needed money but would keep quiet. Once a bogus winner was selected, an entry form would be submitted in their name, which then won the £1,500 place the ball prize. They kept £200 of their winnings, returning £1,300, which was divided among the syndicate. From March 1974 until April 1977, 
Cathy and her boss fixed 67 police to ball competitions. They also twice rigged two major jackpots of £20,500 and £22,000, collecting most of the winnings for themselves. As Cathy and her boss did the hardest part of the con, they felt they were entitled to the majority of the proceeds. For Cathy, it certainly meant a life of luxury cars, foreign holidays, lavish furnishings and expensive jewellery. She bought a new taxi for her husband, a £3,500 car for herself, and moved from Bayliston in Glasgow to an £18,000 house in the suburbs. Cathy also now had £12,000 in a Bilton's Society account. She later revealed in an interview that her involvement in the scam may have been due to the fact that Eddie and herself could not have kids. Cathy said, I enjoy spending money, I like good things, wine, food, travel, and I love clothes, particularly trouser suits. I did make flights to London to buy clothes, but not as people made out. Whenever I had money from the competitions, I would take it to two building societies. I would put between £100 and £300 in one, and about the same amount in the other. I did this several times. I don't really know why I became involved in this. Maybe it would have been different if we could have had children. I don't know. The syndicate also saw themselves as modern-day Robin Hoods, who gave the money to those who needed it most. Winners were found from all over Glasgow. It seemed a perfect scam until one 19-year-old winner blew the whistle after he was threatened by people he had promised a share of his winnings. Fearing for his safety, he went to the police and spilled the beans. Cathy McCord was jailed for three years, along with her boss, after both admitted to defrauding their employer of £143,500. The police recovered only £4,224 of the £143,500 at the time, but £139,000 was still unaccounted for. Could one of those involved in the fraud have been responsible because they felt they did not get their fair share? After intensive investigations, detectives wrote out a connection to the swindle or even organised crime itself. The beneficiaries of the fraud had been Cathy, friends and colleagues, not members of the underworld. Whoever was responsible was a fear that she had picked up that night. Cathy was just an innocent woman going about her job when the crazy person had tried to kill her. But who had done it, and why? What possible motive could someone have for murdering a female taxi driver with such violence? However, detectives have found something at the scene that suggested it was more than just a murder. Inside Cathy's taxi, a cigarette lighter and inhaler and her car keys have been carefully positioned in a straight line on the driver's seat. That suggested there was a ritualistic element to the crime. The attack caused fear among the city's 1,400 black cab drivers, both female and male. The motive for the attack wasn't clear. Had it been something simple as a dispute over a fare or the journey being taken by the driver? But surely that would not have promoted such savagery. The fact that Cathy's body had been put in the boot of her black hackney cab was even more chilling. There was talk of drivers being given special panic alarms which they could activate if they were under attack. Despite deploying major resources and expertise from across the force, police drew a blank in their bid to find the killer and the inquiry was eventually wound down. But just as the officers were returning to their normal duties, a killer struck again. On December the 3rd, the body of nurse and midwife Elizabeth Walton, 48, was discovered in the grounds of Westcote's primary school, Campus Lang, the school her daughter attended. It emerged that she had been offered a lift home that night, but decided to walk instead. Elizabeth was dragged from the pavement through bushes, 
beaten, kicked, strangled and stripped naked. After death, her body, wrists and arms were mutilated with a knife in what was described in courts as symbolic and ritualistic wounds. By her side lay her clothes, carefully tied in neat knots, laid out in a line, in the same ritualistic way that police had found the first victim. There were other similarities to the murder of Cathy McCord. Both had died violently. In both cases, a knife was used by a left-handed person. Neither had been sexually assaulted. Both died a short distance from each other. There was also another fear that the killings were part of a pre-planned ritual and the killer could strike again. Police realised that an extremely dangerous man was on the loose and had to be caught before he struck again. All the patterns of a serial killer were there. This was a murderer who wasn't going to stop if he wasn't stopped. The biggest team of cops Glasgow had seen in years started knocking on doors and an incident caravan was set up near the scene of the crime. It took only three days for their first breakthrough this time. Detectives had been baffled by both murders and, at this stage, had no suspects. Initial appeals for witnesses failed to provide a breakthrough. That was until forklift truck driver Ian Schooler arrived at the caravan, saying he had information that may help in Elizabeth's murder. He'd been near the primary school around 11pm on December 2nd, the time of the killing, and noticed a suspicious looking man hanging around some bushes. Scholar gave the cops as much of a description as he could remember. Scholar was 24 years old, politely spoken, from a good family and lived in a nice house near the scene with his well-to-do parents. Yet the, detectives inco- the, yet the more the detectives inquired into Scholar's sighting of the mystery man, the more intrigued they became about Scholar himself. Cracks began to appear in his story. He had said to cops he'd been home by 11pm on the night that Elizabeth Walton was killed. However, his mother revealed Ian hadn't come home until 1am, two hours later than he told the cops. She also said that Ian had been at home with her husband the night Cathy McCord had been murdered. Checking their notebooks, they realised that Scholar had given a different account of his whereabouts. Scholar was interviewed again and changed his story twice. Witnesses then identified him as having been seen running fast past the shopping centre in Campus Lang shortly after Elizabeth Walton's murder. Jean and her husband were concerned by how often the cops were interviewing their son. Worried he might be implicated in a very serious matter they believed he had nothing to do with. They even said to have complained officially to the chief constable about the police's pursuit of his son. By this time the police were confident that the two murders had been committed by the same person. Could that have been Schooler? He seemed a bit of an oddball, but that didn't make him a killer, did it? Schooler was seen as an outsider, a loner, prone to making up stories and had been treated by a psychiatrist. Jean Schooler kept a tight leash on Ian, despite him being 24. When he went out, she sat up waiting for him. Sometimes she would go out in her car scouting the streets until she found him. The renewed police activity and the second murder had also prompted people's memories and fresh information from the public. Two separate witnesses identified Scholar as running away from a taxi the night Cathy was killed. Then the forensic team made a breakthrough. Two hairs from the collar of a jacket Cathy McCord had been wearing were found in Scholar's trousers, which, in turn, had been taken following a search of the house where he lived with his parents. They had enough. Ian Scholar was charged with both murders and appeared at the High Court in Glasgow in June 1983, lodging a special defence of alibi. In other words, 
he had been elsewhere at the time Cathy and Elizabeth were killed. During the trial, he seemed unperturbed by the proceedings and even laughed and joked with the police officers. Even when psychiatrists described him as a psychopath, he didn't show a flicker of interest. His only reactions when doctors suggested he was sexually impotent. In his evidence, Strathclyde Police's Chief Medical Officer William McClay said there was a perverse sexual motiva- motivation to the way that the victims had been decimated with knife wounds. The jury also heard claims that Schooler was an, ex- an extremely dangerous psychopath. He was found guilty by the ma- by majority of stabbing Catherine and unanimous- unanimously on Elizabeth's murder. The 14-day trial was a harrowing experience for the jury as details of the murders were revealed and graphic pictures were shown. Before sentencing him to life, Lord Arlenbridge said, I consider you an extremely dangerous young man. One senior police officer later described Schooler as an evil, emotionless murder machine. Few people disagreed. One of the detectives involved in the double murder investigation was Brian McLaughlin. He retired from the force in 1996 at the rank of detective inspector after more than 30 years of service and 230 murder investigations. At the time, he was a member of the Strathclyde Police Series Crime Squad and had been brought in to help local officers. In his 2012 m- memoir, Crime Stopper, he said, Scholar was interviewed at least 10 times about his version of events and had changed his story about his movements in the night of the second murder at least once. Then his overprotected mother inadvertently dropped him in it. She said she had waited up for him to come home in the night of the murder and had gone out looking for him, finally spotting him after 1am. That contrasted with Schooler's story that he'd been back home just after 11pm. Brian added, Among key evidence linking Schooler to the second victim was a ligature used to strangle Mrs Walton. It was similar to the draw cord from the anorak Schooler wore at work. The cord from the jacket was missing and his explanations were unsatisfactory. Detectives traced shops and markets to find clothing with similar cords, but none were found. Schooler's trousers also had muskrat hair on them. The victim's coat was made from muskrat hair. Now the net was closing in on Schooler. The double killer was released in 2003 in parole, having served just over 20 years behind bars, now considered safe to return to decent society. In an interview at the time, Cathy's husband Eddie told of his outrage. He said the parole board ignored his warnings that Schooler could strike again and set him free. Eddie added, This man killed my wife. He should never have been allowed out as he will surely kill again. No woman is safe when he's around. During the trial, he showed no expression of remorse or concern for the consequences of his actions. He used to sneer, chew gum and joke with the police officers in the dock. This is a man who killed again because of the publicity and notoriety it would bring him. He wanted his 15 minutes of fame and he will kill again. He has finished his sentence but the families of his victims are left with a life sentence. We will take this to our graves. Following his release, Schooler moved in with a family member in Bothwell, Lanarkshire, only a few miles from the scene of the two murders. Eddie, then 56, said his family had objected to Schooler's release on two previous occasions. He added, Schooler applied for a parole last year and was refused after we objected. He applied again last month and we objected again. This monster has his whole life to look forward to. All we are left with is a grave to tend in a cemetery. Scholar had previously been allowed out for regular weekend visits to his family to prepare him for life on the outside. Eddie said, 
We weren't told about this either. The first we heard was when friends spotted him in Campus Lang. In 2018, Campus Lang-born crime writer Gavin Bell, who uses the pen name Mason Cross for the best-selling Carter Blake detective series, revisited the horrific crimes for a CBS TV series, Written in Blood. The author was just three when Kathy was found murdered close to the school, close to where he lived near nearby Hunter Drive. Elizabeth Walton was discovered on the grounds of the primary school when Gavin would later attend. He said at the time, I spoke to my dad about it, did he remember being woke up that night by all the flashing blue lights over in Bayside Place? Place. His bedroom was at the back of the house at the time. The next day the police came around to canvas and asked him if he had seen anything. It was something kids at school mentioned and walking around the neighbourhood you would hear things like, that's where the murderer lived. When I grew up in Huntley Drive, we used to cut through the hedge in my back garden, go through Bayside Place all the time. The second victim got the last train home from Glasgow and walked up to Stewarton Drive, and I've done that trip hundreds of times. Whenever anything like this happens, you hear the neighbour say, it was such a shock, you never expect anything like that to happen in a place like this. I guess the big thing is, I never had that illusion that nothing bad can happen in a place. It can happen anywhere. Little is known about Ian Schooler, who would now be in his 60s. Four key questions about the case remain to this day. Why did Schooler go to the police and tell them about the mystery man running away? Was he playing a game with them or trying to throw them off the scent? Would the police have ever found out about Schooler had he not gone to them in the first place? And that was a piece by freelance contributor Norman Sylvester. And that was this week's Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.